0: You might already know that I'm a big fan of Isaiah. I think he's got some of the most uh, creative poetry that uh, has a vision of something new and different uh, in all of scripture. And uh, here Isaiah does something quite clever. He makes use of things that are familiar to the people to point to something that is beyond their imagining. So he starts off by talking about Uh, some former things. Uh, He talks about the remarkable stuff that God has already done in the lives of the people or in the life of Israel, the history of Israel. Um, I mean, to be fair, from the first moments of the biblical accounts, God is doing remarkable stuff, but uh, here we get uh, a sense of how remarkable God can be because Isaiah references the Exodus and says this is a God who rescues people out of bondage, out of slavery. And those are those, uh, references to taking the people out and they're being chased by the, the chariots and so forth. So he's, he's saying that our God has form. We know about this God. We know how this God behaves with us. We can have some confidence in this God. We've just been through a state election here and any moment now we're going to have the announcement of a federal election and politicians want to promise all kinds of things, aren't they? And how do you assess those promises? Well, one of the ways we do it is we go, well, how have they done previously when they've made promises? Did they mean anything? Were they true to those promises? And we can see their form. What is their character like? Is what they're promising consistent with what we know about their general character and what they think is most important? This is how we assess things. Well, Isaiah is saying our God is someone you can assess on that basis. Our God has made promises and fulfilled those promises and the nature of those promises are about leading People to a greatly expanded sense of life. This is the kind of God we have. He promised remarkable things and He's been faithful to those promises, even when the people were not faithful in return. And so He talks about the escape from Egypt, that archetypal moment, the formation of Israel. We're going to have the the, uh, Passover meal here in a couple of uh, Thursdays' time. And it is really the birth of the nation of Israel. It's when the the tribes that were milling around in Egypt come out and they make an agreement together after they've been rescued across the sea, this miraculous, unexpected, unexplainable pathway out of their captivity and then the smashing of those who were chasing them by the waves as they returned and engulfed them. This is important information for the people to remember Their God has already done amazing things. Their God has already saved them from oppression. Their God has already, in a sense, made a way for them in the wilderness one time earlier. So when this new promise comes, they can hear it with minds furnished with a knowledge of who this God really is. And then Isaiah says something that is actually quite unexpected He says, forget about, forget about all the stuff I just reminded you of. Don't let that contain what your expectations are. I'm going to do, God is going to do something utterly new. Don't be constrained by what you've seen God do in the past. This is going to be something other. I became a Christian, I think it must have been in the 80s. I haven't done the math must have been in the 80s, and uh, I got involved in a few different churches. Or at the time, there's all sorts of movements going on, and you'd visit different churches and your friend's church and stuff. And there were some churches that were really given to having slogans, and each year they had a new slogan. It'd be like "Save our city for Christ," or um, "Christ alive in our city," or "Take our city for God." Uh, they all sounded kind of the same and every year year there'd be a new one, there'd be the new slogan, everyone rah-rah around it and charge, we're going to do this. And it just kind of felt a little bit like every every time they were saying something along the lines of, we think Jesus is pretty good and we hope to persuade a few more people that he is pretty good. And they are just saying different words. It was trying to be fresh and new, but it was kind of just the same thing. Nothing wrong with it, but it was just kind of a rah-rah message to say, We're doing something really fresh and new this year, but it's kind of very much like what we did last year, but don't pay too much attention to that. But when Isaiah suggests that God is going to do something new, he's saying it's not just a rehash of what he's done in the past. Don't let your imagination be constrained by what you think you know. Yes, there's information there that's important, the faithfulness of God, the trajectory of God, the life-giving direction of God, but this is going to be something you can't possibly imagine. It's informed by the past, but not contained within the experiences we've already had. And this is why Isaiah does that thing where he reminds people of of their past and then says... Don't call that to mind. There's a bit of a trick there, right? You were just talking about it, but we're not to think about that. What what do you you mean there? And it's like, no, understand who God is, but don't be confining God by that. And this is true with all our relationships in a way. I'm aware that um, if I seek to anticipate how Joe, my wife, will uh, behave in a certain situation, that's pretty dodgy ground. (laughs) <laughs> There's some things I can predict. If I'm at home when the car pulls up after the school run, I can predict that there will be a cup of tea very much appreciated as the door opens. So I fill up the kettle and put it on. And that I have never failed to find is consistent. But that's pretty much as safe as it gets because beyond that I would be a fool to think that I can do the math, as it were, and work out what Joe's responses to any given situation or her actions might be in any given situation based on what I've seen of her thus far. And any of you in any relationship know that that would be a fool's errand, right? Because circumstances keep changing and actually people keep growing and changing and relationships also keep changing and deepening and you can't, anticipate what will happen this afternoon. You might run the conversation through your head and think you know but you don't know and you would be wrong and you would be a fool to constrain your relationship to what you think it would be because that can actually be a self fulfilling prophecy, you don't allow it to go to new places and Isaiah is saying don't constrain this you need to allow this to go to a place you've never been before you need to trust what you know of God but don't confine God to behaving in precisely the same way because what God is about to do is beyond your capacity to imagine. How do you think about something that is beyond your capacity to imagine? That's a bit of a trick, right? What What are we doing when we're trying to think about something that is beyond our capacity to imagine? We hear echoes of creation themes here. Something will spring forth and we think about the Genesis account where things were springing forth from the ground and there's water that sustains where water wasn't before previously sustaining. and beasts, there was beasts there, the jackals and I think the translation James read said owls uh, a better translation is ostriches, and I like ostriches. They're a bit more exotic and strange, aren't they? Have you seen ostriches with funny necks? And, and these beasts are wild beasts. They're not tame, domesticated animals. And there's a sense of God is going to create again, like God created in the beginning. And we are not capable of imagining the nature of this new creation. It hints towards it, but it's beyond our capacity to grasp. But we won't miss it. It's something that we can't imagine, but as it comes about, will you not notice it? And the answer to that is, of course we'll notice it. It will be remarkable and we will notice it. It's worth noting that as the gospel has gone forth across the world and throughout history, and you could do a critique of some of the the impacts it's had in different places, but it is worth noting that without fail it has manifestly changed the way people experience life. So as the gospel has gone forth, systems of slavery have been dismantled around the world. As the gospel has gone forth, mass health care and education has been transformative in societies. As the gospel has gone forth, societies have developed their capacities to listen to the voice of the most marginalised. Catherine said a prayer of gratitude for the way communities attend to people of varying abilities. This is something that is the fruit of the gospel. We care about people who aren't as capable at certain things because of whatever reason, we say, no, you're included too. That's part of the 11 of the Gospel. We don't realise these are Gospel things because they're like the air we breathe. We're so influenced by it. We live in that space so thoroughly. But the core story that animated these developments is the Gospel story. And it's interesting to watch as that Gospel story fades from our popular kind of consciousness what kinds of things begin to grow in the absence of that story? Instead of more equitable sharing of resources, we're seeing a time in history where resources are being siphoned off to fewer and fewer people at a more rapid rate than ever in the history of the world. We're also seeing uh, staggering things in politics where people used to be ashamed of certain behaviours and they now champion them as if the rules no longer apply to them and they can behave in any way they want and that is a sign of their power. These are troubling developments I put to you because that's not good for everybody. It'll be good for some people and a lot more people will pay a price for that. That's the absence of the Gospel story. I'd leave you to think about that. I think it's a a very significant thing. It's good to note too, or important to note, that when this new thing comes, it will be new, but it won't be a walk in the park. It'll be a walk in the wilderness, and that's different. There's not the utter removal of wilderness when the new thing comes. There is a way through the wilderness when the new thing comes. The new thing will enter into the existing order, the wilderness, and will transform the way we navigate that existing order. But initially we might actually find the impact of the wilderness is heightened for us because as we come alive with the nourishment and the nurture of God's grace, the harshness of the wilderness might become more apparent to us. And I think that's something that we should be aware of, that as we come alive to the Gospel, my experience is that some of the harshness of the world that we live in actually grates more deeply and I become sensitised to it and that's more challenging in a kind of way. But praise will come from unexpected places. These are jackals, aren't they cute? Apparently there's a, lots of different kinds of jackals and some of them work in packs and some of them are more individual but they're like wild fox dogs and they're scavengers and they're untamed. And that's important because I, I've been reading a, an outstanding ancient Near Eastern scholar, John Walton, if ever you get a chance to read some of his stuff, very, very good. He makes the point that in the ancient world stories of creation we're not stories of manufacturing the stuff that we know of the world. They are stories of ordering the existing stuff in ways that are fitting for the purpose that is intended. So the creation story, if you look in Genesis, the creation story there, is a very orderly account of ordering things in ways that are fit for the purpose that God would give them. Other ancient Near Eastern accounts are similar. They're different in that they say that everything is really for the gods and human beings are just the servants of the gods, whereas the Genesis account says God made everything and put humanity in the centre of it as kind of the crowning jewel of the whole act. It's a very different view of humanity. But it is an ordering account giving things their purpose and bringing them into submission to that purpose, as it were. And chaos is tamed by order and purpose. And here there are just a few vestiges of the chaos that exist in the the minds of the ancients and the sea is one of them. The sea is untamable, it's massive and the waves are wild and if you go out there, you know, say a prayer because who knows whether you'll come back or not. And it's really interesting that in Revelation... The image of God's uh, kingdom has the sea pictured as glass. It's come under God's dominion. It's it's calmed now. But what we have with these animals is the last vestiges of the wild animals, the ostriches and the jackals. They're not tame animals but even they will worship God. The things that have been out of control even up till now will come into willing submission, not oppressive, coercive submission, they will praise God. They won't be ordered to say certain words in a certain way like a dictator would. They willingly come in. This is so good that even the last bits of the unordered creation will worship God. That's how good this new thing is going to be and there will be surprising resources made available. And this is the perhaps most tangible part of this whole thing for us. We do discover resources in our wildernesses, as it were, where we don't expect to find them. God is with us and continues to turn up with us even where we would never imagine God's divine love to be. It turns out that life is not the life we expected it to be, right? Those of you who have lived long enough, you might have imagined how your life would be early on. Has it turned out kind of like that? I never imagined I would be the father of two adopted children. That just wasn't something on my radar. Number one, I wasn't sure I could be a, a parent to anybody. But number two, I just couldn't imagine the Extra level of difficulty of parenting children that weren't from my loins, for want of a better way of expressing it. And I would never have chosen that when I was younger. When Joe and I first met, it was off the radar. And circumstances deliver you to places where you make decisions, and the surprising thing is, you find yourself in places where resources become available and lead you into a life that you could never have anticipated, which is in fact much richer than the one you could have imagined, because let's face it, when we do our imagining, we're small, we're young, we're limited. You know, I think about some religions and I think about their visions of heaven and they were clearly done by teenage boys, because that's not heaven in my mind. (laughs) And as we go on, God leads us to new places and gives us the resources that makes that life rich. And we enter into the reality that we find ourselves in. So our God is doing a new thing. It's not just like the previous thing that God has done, and this is a challenge to us because We can only imagine based on what we know by projecting from what we know. But God's new thing is premised on what has gone before. God is consistent in character and we know the goodness of God. It'll be like a way in the wilderness... Things may not be all rosy but there will be a way and there will be resources. There might be an initial harshness in the environment but we will enjoy divinely supplied resources and in due course, the whole creation, all those chaotic bits will come to realise how good our God is. With humanity at the centre, there will be a chorus of all-encompassing praise. And we will respond freely to our God and worship. And we will be in heaven, wherever that turns out to be. That will be the new thing that God is doing. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your incredible grace to us that has been the centre of all that you've done toward us from the very beginning. We thank you that we can have confidence in you because of your character, because of your faithfulness to what you've said in the past. And we thank you for this promise of something new that will indeed transform us and everything where we will give praise to you not because we have to but because it's the only sensible thing to do. And your whole creation will honour you as we ought.